Uh, I want to I just take a few minutes and share something with you this morning um, you know, th- that, I, that I feel really burdened about. I was in New York City last weekend. I don't know how many of you know this, but a lot of you have met Ron and Lynette Lewis. They've been here a couple of different times to speak. They're dear friends for me and Pam. They pastor in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. They have a church there. But uh, two days after 9-11, after the Twin Towers were destroyed in New York on 9-13, Ron and a guy named Rice Brooks, who wrote the book God's Not Dead, the movie was made out of that book, Rice Brooks and a guy named Ron Lewis, who y'all know, uh, got into the city on 9-13, two days after the, and they walked the city and prayed over the city about what, what to do. And the Lord spoke to both of them that they were to plant a church there. And that church is now called Every Nation Church. So last Sunday was their 14th anniversary. They asked me to come be the guest speaker. So I was there last Sunday in the city in New York. And one of the, one of the conversations, I, I, so I spoke on Sunday morning to their, their church. And then that afternoon, I spent time with about 100 of their young leaders, uh, about 100 of them that are doctors and lawyers and stockbrokers. And they're living there in Manhattan. There's a lot of them are NYU film students or NYU students. Uh, Saint, uh, students from St. John's. So they're there. They're students and professionals. So I spent some time with them. And the question that came up that I want to speak, I, I just want to unpack with you today. Because as I was listening to them talk to me about their challenges of living in New York City and being Christ followers, I realized that we here in Colorado are not far from where they are in New York City as far as following Jesus in an environment that is increasingly more difficult to follow Jesus. So in New York City, there's uh, over 100 languages spoken on the island. So Manhattan, Brooklyn, uh, the Bronx, uh, Queens, Long Island, all of the boroughs there. There's only, there's about 100 different languages. In fact, sometimes in New York City, it's hard to find someone who speaks English. I mean, it's just that diverse. I mean, you don't hear the English language as much as you think you would in New York City. But, but also there's less than 3% of church, people who attend church in New York City. So well over, what, 10, 12 million people that live on all those boroughs, 3% of them are regular Christ followers. And so I, I began to uh, have this conversation with these young professionals. And I, so I want you to open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're just going to read three verses today. But I'm going to spend most of my morning, the time that I have with you in this passage of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verses 15, 16, and 17. And the the title of this message is Being Ambassadors in the Marketplace and Being Ambassadors for Jesus in the place that God has sent us. And I I have a burden for this today. This message is burdening me today to share with you. I I want to tell a story real quick. Pam's going to be mortified that I'm telling this story, so don't you dare repeat it to her, okay? Because she won't listen to the men's podcast on newlifechurch.org, so she'll never know. I told you unless you tell her, right? Now, she actually doesn't mind me. I would never uncover Pam, so she would never, she's fine with me telling you the story, I think. So, um, actually, I know, for, I know for sure she is, right? It, you know, there's, way, there's, there's two ways to tell embarrassing stories. There's an, you can tell it in an embarrassing way, or you can tell it in a less embarrassing way. So, I'm going to tell it in the less embarrassing way today about your wife. So, Pam and I, I was 22 years old when I married Pam. She was 21. Pam was still in college. Uh, she's an LSU grad, so she was finishing up her last year at LSU. I'd already graduated from Louisiana Tech. We got married. We lived there. And uh, so we were very young when we got married. And Pam uh, is from a great home. Her mom and dad are just amazing people, good people, hardworking people. I have really good in-laws. Her, but the mother, um, Pam's mom, 
really didn't like to cook that much. And so uh, Pam never really got uh, taught how to cook. In fact, I was a much better cook when we got married than my wife. And Pam would even say today, I'm probably a better cook today because I just, cause I just enjoy being in the kitchen, you know, cooking. I enjoy it. So uh, as you can tell, I enjoy it a lot. So, um, so Pam, though, as you know, the 21-year-old young woman, wanting to you know, make a good first impression on her husband, we bought this little house. We paid $42,000 for our first house. And as a 22-year-old, I was making 1,500 bucks a month, and that was, and Pam was in school, so we were making 1,500 bucks a month. I was both college grads, all right, and and we, we so to buy a $42,000 house was a huge uh, thing for us. But we had somehow scraped up some money, and we'd found ourselves in this little house that was like 60 years old, and a little tiny kitchen. And uh, Pam really wanted to make a good first impression on me. And so I'll never forget, it was a Saturday night and there was a ball game on. So I had, we had a little tiny TV and I was watching the ball game, a uh, young married couple. And I, I could hear Pam in the kitchen, like rustling around, cooking something. I could hear her getting stuff out. I could hear the, you know, the fridge door opening. I could hear all that stuff. And all of a sudden I hear her go, ah, like, ah, like screaming, like really like something that was grossing her out, something that was freaking her out. So I get up and, and she was walking out of the kitchen. I'm walking toward her and she comes to me and her hands are covered in this egg, uh, doughy, fudge looking, awful mess. And I said, what, are you, what is that? She goes, oh, this is gross. And I said, what are you doing? She goes, well, I was trying to cook brownies. I said, why are your hands covered in egg and batter? She goes, well, it's set on the box to mix by hand, and that is gross. <laughs> so she had broken the eggs, you know, put it in there, and she was just in there going at it with her hands. And she had all that raw egg and dough. And she goes, it's said to mix by hand, but this is really awful. And the reason I'm telling you that story, here's what, this is what's happening in most of our lives as Christ followers in a broken culture that we're living in. We have the right ingredients. We're just not mixing them up and using them correctly. And it's not being, we're not, we're not arriving at the final conclusion. It's not because we have the wrong ingredients. You just have the wrong methodology. And so I'm gonna to talk to you today about how to penetrate the culture with the best story ever told, with the best news that human, the human, Humanity has never been told a better story than Jesus. All of human history, there's never been a better story told than the story of Jesus. Then why are we not telling the story and seeing the results? We have the best story and our story is true. It's not a fable. It's not a myth. It's not, it's not something that someone conjured up. It's not a cult. It's it's true. God became man and came to the earth through a scared teenager on the outpost of Bethlehem and the incarnation and the arrival of Jesus into a broken world is the best story ever told. Now, it's fascinating to me that we're about to read a passage of scripture from 1 Peter. Everybody knows who Peter is. Peter was one of the first followers of Jesus, one of the inner circle of Jesus. Peter, James, and John would have been considered the inner circle of Jesus. Out of the 12, there were three. Peter, James, and John would have been a part of that. Peter also was notorious for mixing up the ingredients wrong and getting the wrong results with the right ingredients. 
I mean, Peter was the one that stood in front of all his buddies and said, hey, if everyone else denies you, I won't. If everyone else runs away from you in your time of greatest need, Jesus, I won't do that. I'll stay right here by you. And Jesus, knowing the condition of his heart, looked all past, he looked past the facade. He looked past the bravado. He looked past all the testosterone and saw the truth. Now listen, guys, you can fake it with a lot of guys, but you can't fake it with God. You can't fake it with him. And, and one of the greatest strengths that we have as men is, is coming humbly before, the God, before our God and admitting that we don't have it all figured out. And yet Peter had not learned that valuable lesson yet. So Peter, Peter's like, if everybody else runs away from you, I won't do it. And then Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you're not only going to deny me once, you're going to deny me three times. And on that third time, Peter, there's a, a rooster will crow to remind you of these words. You're going to hear, you're going to hear something and to remind you of what I'm about to tell you. And sure enough, Jesus is arrested and taken into the palace. And Peter is outside warming himself by a fire and three different times. Someone says, hey, aren't you the Galilean who followed after Jesus? Aren't you the one that, hey, we've seen you hanging out with Jesus. And three different times Peter denied him. Now, we know all that story, right? Y'all know that story. So it's fascinating to me that now we're about to read a passage of Scripture from Peter who's telling the rest of us how to get this right. How to be a, an effective witness in a broken culture where increasingly, increasingly, it's more and more difficult to be a true witness of Jesus. Now it's fascinating. This is the guy that's about to give us advice. But this letter that I'm about to read to you, this passage that I'm about to read to you, would have been passed around to all the churches mainly in Greece, some probably there in Jerusalem primarily, but this letter would have found its way out into the, the Greek empire, to the places, the Roman empire, where Romans had penetrated the culture. This letter would have been read out loud as a reminder from the church father of how to get this right, how to be a right ambassador. Let's read it. I'm just going to take it slowly this morning, uh, but I want to show you what Peter said to us. And again, all of this came from a conversation that I had with this group of young professionals in New York last week who as literally as they walk into their church building, people are throwing things at them. They've, been, they've had uh, liquids thrown at them, rocks thrown at them. This is in New York City, 2015. As they walk into their church, because they've been pegged as evangelicals. And it is so, uh, there's so much anger right now toward the evangelical church because of our, our, our stance on sexuality. There's so much vitriol and anger right now being poured out on us. In, in some ways, because of the way we've presented our sexual ethics, but also because of our stand on sexual ethics. And if you want to write this down, this is probably good fodder for a conversation today. Everybody loves Jesus till he talks about the sexual ethics. Almost anybody, every culture is fascinated with the story of Jesus. Until you get to the part where Jesus talked about sexual ethics. And then everyone gets upset with Jesus. And this is exactly what Peter is addressing here. A lot of tension, anger, persecutions breaking out against the church. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I love how this particular passage starts out. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Now that, that sounds fairly obvious, but that's actually the hardest part of what I'm about to tell you today. In your hearts, in my heart, your heart, we have to set apart Christ as Lord. We're living right now in a culture where cultural Christianity is fading away 
and it's being replaced by convictional Christianity. Now write those two words down, cultural Christianity, which is what, if you're over 50 years old, that's the only thing you've, that, they're, both of these things have always been present in the American culture. There's always been this huge mass of people who would call themselves cultural Christians. At some points in our, in our country's history, it's been up to 95, 96% of the people would have identified themselves as some kind of Christian, Christian faith, having some kind of a affiliation or allegiance with the Christian faith, 96, 97%. Now it's more like 80 to 85% depending on who you talk to and who's doing the survey. So there's always been this huge umbrella in America for cultural Christianity, all right? But that's getting less and less and it's dying out. Let me tell you why. It is now no longer, and a lot of you guys, I see a lot of my friends out here who are in the business world, you're buying and selling properties, you're involved in government, uh, you're, in, you're doing something that it, uh, involves commerce, selling, buying. I, I, I know a lot of you, I know your stories, but listen, it used to be that you had to have some kind of affiliation with Christianity in order to be successful in America. That's no longer true now. Less and less are we being asked about our spiritual convictions in order to do business with us. So now people are figuring out, I don't have to have a loose affiliation with some kind of Christian thought or dogma in order to be successful in the marketplace. I now can be secular. In fact, uh, there are some business circles where it's actually more profitable for you to be considered secular than spiritual. And in fact, if you have any kind of spirituality, it's actually going to prohibit you from being as successful as you want to be. Therefore, people, money has always been a motivating factor for people's behavior. Profit and money and power and sex. Money, power, and sex have always been three very powerful motivators for our, our behavior, all right? So in, in the past, where cultural Christianity was the strongest part, then we had to adhere to sexual ethics. Uh, we had to be kind to the poor. We had to be married to one person. Uh, so all those things kind of held us in check. Now, all those things are being dissolved right in front of us. Now, we don't necessarily have to follow those old rules, what people would consider old rules. Now, you can be as successful as you want to be with no religious affiliation in America. Cultural Christianity is dying. And I'm not so sure that's a bad thing. Now, here's the problem. When cultural Christianity dies, that means that cultural politics the, 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 the things that are associated with political power, that's also going to go away. In other words, politicians are going to ask Christians less and less about their opinion in the political realm. So that, that, that upsets a lot of people. So now, I mean, we've never had a U.S. president that has never, every U.S. president we've ever had has, has confessed publicly that there's, they, there's some type of Christian. I'm, I'm guessing before I die, that, that will change because cultural Christianity is no longer a powerful force in our country, where it's now being replaced by convictional Christianity. And that's what Peter is saying right here. He says, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. You better start with that first. So here's the question I have for all of us. Who's Lord? Who's Lord? Because there are three things that are competing for, with the men for their control of their heart, money, sex, and power. It's always been that. The gold, the girls, and the bling. Right, the gold, the girls, and the glory. Gold, girls, and glory. If you want to use uh, three Gs, gold, money, girls, sex, glory, power. 
So money, sex, and power, gold, girls, and glory, that's always been the three things that have competed with all of us. Let's be honest, right? As men, something is competing with us for the Lord of our hearts. And Peter says, let's get this right. Set apart Christ as Lord. Before you ever venture into the culture trying to make any kind of impact into your culture, you better know that Christ is Lord of your heart. And this is what I, the conversation I had last week, is Christ Lord of our hearts or not? If he is, it's about to start costing us something in America for that to be true. If Christ is Lord, it's about to start costing us something in America. It says, so set apart Christ as Lord. Now listen to this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope you have. Because we're, what, what happens when cultural Christianity dies and convictional Christianity is the only thing left remaining, we actually become a more peculiar people. We actually begin to stand apart from the culture more. See, in the past, you can hide. There was this huge tent over here. You could live like the devil in private, but you could look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, you go to church, and nobody would know the difference. Now that this tent's getting smaller, this tent over here is where you're going to have to decide, where am I going to park? In convictional Christianity now, we're actually going to look more peculiar than ever in the culture, which is what 2,000 years of Christian history has produced, a peculiar group of people who have a strange hope built on something that nobody else can see. Our hope is eternal. Our hope is real. And it says, always be prepared, it says. Peter says, always be prepared to tell people why you have such hope in such a hopeless culture. Here's my concern a lot of times. Uh, if, you watch, if all you watch is the news, then you can become a cynic. You can become this angry cynic that nobody wants to be around, quite honestly. Or you can become this person of tremendous hope that everyone wants to be around and everyone wants to know the reason why you're so hopeful in a culture that seems hopeless. You understand that a hopeless culture is the friend to the hopeful Christian. I mean, let's be honest. When things get dark in the world, our light actually shines brighter. This is the whole story of Jesus arriving. I've come as a light into the darkness. Our light actually has the potential now to shine brighter because the culture is getting darker. We actually now have a tremendous opportunity to be a more powerful witness than ever before if we're willing to pay the price to be that witness. Because being that kind of witness comes with a price. Difficult. Are y'all resonating with this today? Y'all hearing me? There's a lot to think about here, right? And I, I, I left New York with a lot to think about. Watching the culture there, knowing that it's happening as much in Colorado, we just seem to be more distant from everybody. You know, we, can, we all, you come to Colorado to have some space. And so we don't, sometimes we don't know what's happening in everybody's lives around here. But in New York, you live literally stacked on top of one another in apartment complexes. So you kind of tend to know what's happening with one another differently than we do here in Colorado. But I love what Peter says here, always be ready. Let me ask you a question. Do you know how to tell your story? Do you have a story? I don't think we're called to win an argument. And I believe in apologetics. I believe in, uh, under, I believe in theology. I believe in understanding theology. I study theology. I read theology. I, I believe in apologetics. 
The problem I have with some apologetics teaching is that it teaches us to win an argument rather than to win people. And you don't win people by winning an argument. You don't, I don't talk people into Jesus. Can't win that argument. But what I can do is tell my story. And that can't be taken from me. I have a story. I was really, really lost. And I was headed for self-destruction. I was headed toward being an alcoholic, an addict. I was headed toward early death in my life. And Jesus rescued me and brought me into his kingdom. And since that time, he has given me a wife, a family, a hope, a future, and an unshakable joy. That is my story. You can't take my story from me. You may, you may disagree with me on some theology, but you can't take my story from me. I think it's more important as men that you own your story. Can you tell your story in a hopeful way? Is your story hopeful, first of all? Where were you when Jesus found you? And where are you now? That's the story you need to learn to tell. Where were you in life when Jesus found you? And where are you now? And Peter says, be, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now listen to this last phrase. But do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness, which means there is no room anymore for angry Christians, first of all. Quit, you don't have to be mad about this. Angry Christians are not helpful. And I understand the uh, understand protests and the political system of voting your conscience and protesting things that you don't agree with, that's fine. I, I'm, I'm not telling you to disengage from the political process or I'm not telling you to disengage from things in a culture you disagree with. I'm not telling you that. I'm saying do it with gentleness. Do it in a way though that earns, that, that, that's going to win people over instead of drive people away. I, I, I vote. I have not missed an election since I've been here in Colorado. I don't, I don't miss elections. I vote for school board members. I vote for everything. I, I vote for everything. I meet with my congressman. I know that I have a phone number. I can call my senators. I do all those things, but I don't do it in an angry, vengeful way. Be engaged. Run for office. Do those things, but do it with gentleness and respect. Do it in a way that's going to win people over to show them I am something different as Lord over my heart. I'm not ruled by fear, number one. I'm not ruled by fear. And a lot of things that we're doing in the name of protest is done really because we're afraid. And this fear thing that's motivating a lot of us has got to stop. We've got to stop being afraid. I, I had someone say, well, Pastor Brady, aren't you concerned about our religious freedoms? I said, well, sure I am. Of course I am. I'm, I mean, what I do is, is I have a great deal of freedom to lead new life because of the religious freedoms in our country. I do. I can get up and say stuff out of the pulpit, not be arrested the next day. I can make statements that other people can in other countries. I, so I, yes, I do. Am I concerned? Yes. However, I'm not afraid of losing them either. I'm concerned about losing them. I don't want to lose them. I'll do what I can to make sure we don't lose them. But what's the worst thing that can happen? All of our religious liberties are taken away. That's, is that, let's just agree. Is that the worst thing that can happen? Yes, we lose them all. All right, do you know where the thrive, most thriving churches in the world are right now? <laughs> You know where the purest, most powerful, most, the churches that are multiplying the fastest in the world right now, there are two countries that every missions person in the world will say they are thriving, multiplying, Iran and China, where they have zero religious freedoms. 
The church is exploding. I was just with a group of Iranian underground church leaders. I know this firsthand. They have all been, many of half the room had been arrested and beaten. I was with them in an undisclosed location in Europe just a few months ago, and I spent the whole day with them. They are full of the Holy Spirit. They are so encouraged. People are coming to Christ in miraculous ways in Iran. The church has gone from a few hundred thousand to, some people say two to three million Iranians now are devotedly following Jesus in Iran. Zero religious freedoms. None. Listen, we think some kind of political force is going to stop the gospel. Come on, guys. And this is what I feel like men are afraid of. Well, if we lose our political freedom, we're going to lose our spiritual freedom. Really? How are we, com- that's man. So man, institutions of man can somehow squelch out the good news of the gospel. Then let's not follow this gospel if it's that weak. I'm telling you, the gospel I'm following, there is no force in hell, no scheme of man that will stop his kingdom from coming. So I'm saying to you guys, listen, as citizens, yes, vote your conscience, protest, call your Congress, but do it with gentleness and respect. And know this, at the end of the day, they can't take one thing from me that's real. They can't take anything from me. Take my life, but they will not take my freedom from me. They can't take my joy from me. They can't take the reality of my hope in eternity from me. They can't take Jesus from me. So this just changes the way I think about things, right? It it also causes me not to be afraid of anything. Not afraid of anything like that, okay? All right, I can go on about that. Verse 16. Keeping a clear conscience, it says, so that there, that, that those, listen very carefully, those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Keeping a clear conscience. Now, here's where I want to get to about, I was talking, the, the title of this message is being a, a, an ambassador in a marketplace. And here's where I want to just take a couple minutes right now, okay? There's never been a more important time in our history that we've lived in as men, where we need to be above reproach, more, more so now than ever before, we need to be men of very high integrity, above reproach in everything we do. I'm, t- I'm calling the men of new life to come alongside me. Listen, I've, I've, I've led the way here. Our church, we're members of the Evangelical Council of a Financial Accountability. There's 300,000 churches in America. Only about 105, 106 meet the standards of the ECFA. We're one of those 100 churches. We have, we pay a lot of money to have extensive audits done on every penny that's ever given here and every penny that's spent. Why? Why? I don't have to do that. You didn't ask me to do that. It's not in my, nobody, the elders didn't ask me to do that. I did that because we have to raise our standard of behavior. Everything we do is above reproach. Everything we do. Now, does that mean they won't speak evil of us? No, that's not what Peter said. They're still going to speak evil of us. But at the end of the day, they'll be embarrassed and ashamed about it once they really see what's happening. I actually had someone kind of attack me on social media recently and said, hey, Pastor Brady, how come y'all don't get involved with the homeless needs in our city? I mean, literally a month before, I just opened Mary's home. 
And I was, I was so aggravated because this is a person of influence in our city who was attacking New Life for being the wealthy church up north that doesn't care about the homeless downtown. So after I prayed, Lord, dear God, help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. In a kind way, I responded. I said, hey, I'm so glad you brought that up because I just spent about a million and a half dollars buying, renovating, and staffing a state-of-the-art apartment complex in the most violent neighborhood in our city. And I would love to take you down there and introduce you firsthand to the women who just a month ago were living on the streets with their kids who are now living in beautifully furnished apartments that New Life has paid for, debt-free, and is running right now. I would, can, when can I schedule a tour to give you and a place for that. <laughs> oh, Lord. And I wonder, you know, even then you're trying to say, okay, Lord, help me. They don't know what they're saying. I'm, so, it's, again, what I'm saying to you is no matter how hard we try to do the right thing, we're going to get slammed and attacked and beat up. And it was a good lesson for me. I don't, I, okay, I'm going to get slammed and beat up and attacked no matter how many good things I do. That's not going to keep me from doing the good, though, in our city. And I want to say to you guys, listen, this is a time right now where your witness is being watched. Again, cultural Christianity, gone. Now what's left is convictional Christianity, where the spotlight now is about to be on, on those of us who have set apart Christ as Lord in our lives. Christ is Lord in my house. As for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. As long as Pam Abram and Callie, I'm my house. We're, set apart in, we're setting apart Christ as Lord at my house. Now, my daughter's about to go off to, she's going to homecoming tonight. You know, her first, she's a freshman in high school. She's got a nice dress, and she's going to the dance tonight. Uh, yes, my kids go to dances. But even in that moment, even as she is there, we've already had this, it, it's, it has opened up tons of conversations with my daughter about setting apart Christ as Lord. She's, she's very modest. She's pure. She's going to have fun. She's going to be a great witness. She's going to show a different way of, of being in those environments. She's so, she's so motivated by this. Dad, I asked her just to see if her face would turn nine shades of red. What are you going to do if a young man asks you to dance? Like her face just turns 12 shades of red. And those conversations, see, these are the practical conversations you can have with your kids. We've homeschooled our kids, and our kids, and our kids have been in public school, so we've been on all ends of the spectrum here. The bottom line is we have to train up our kids to be salt and light in a world right now. We have to train up our families to be truthful witnesses of Jesus right now. This is such a, a beautiful opportunity we have to really shine for Jesus right now. But it means I'm not going to do anything that is that's even going to bring any kind of reproach on new life, upon my, my own reputation, we're going to do things with honor and integrity. I am going to, if I tell, and this is, and I'm doing some remodels on my house right now. I'm buying and selling a house right now. And I've watched all, and a, a lot of you are doing some of that. And I'm so honored by, I'm, I'm trying to find men of integrity and character and Christ-likeness to do these small jobs and help me. I've been so encouraged. They show up on time. They do what they said. They do it at the price they said. They do good work, quality work, sound work. 
I just, I, and, and some of them have go to new life and some of them don't. I just say to these men, thank you for being such a good witness. Thank you for being a witness, for doing what, saying what you mean and mean what you say, for promising to do something on time, under budget, with, with you doing better work than anybody else. That's our witness. Listen, your role in the marketplace, whether you're a doctor, whether you are a contractor, whether you drive a truck, whether you're working in the prison systems, our job is to be salt and light. The way we do our work is the greatest witness we have right now as men in our city. And I want to pray over you this morning that as we leave this time, as we go through this day, that the Lord would encourage you deeply and greatly to be ambassadors in the marketplace right now. Listen, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus prophesied this over us. Jesus was not just looking at his, his current time. He said, the harvest, literally, the way you can interpret that passage is, the harvest is always going to be plentiful, but the workers will always be few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the harvest field. That's us. I'm going to pray over us this morning. By the way, I want to introduce to you, I've always said to you guys that, I, that it's important to have fathers, brothers, and sons in your life. So one of my dads is here, one of my spiritual fathers. Now, he's not quite old enough to be my real dad. Well, I guess you might be, maybe. You'd have been a young, young man. But, um, but, but as a, from a spiritual standpoint, there's, there's no one that I would call a spiritual mentor and dad more than this guy. This is Tom Lane. He's one of our overseers of our church, by the way, and has been for the eight years I've been here. So I want to just uh, recognize Tom today for uh, being here with us. And um, I love you. Uh, I really, really, really love this man. And he's going to be speaking tonight to you. And I want you to make it a priority to come back, be here tonight for this, this message. He's already told me what he's going to speak on. And it, it ties in so beautifully with what we're talking about, the whole theme of this today. And Pastor Gabe's going to be sharing this afternoon, who I'm just so grateful for Pastor Gabe's leadership on our staff and our church. Uh, he's a blessing from the Lord, Gabe. You're a blessing to us. And so I want to pray over you right now. Uh, would you just ask the Lord, Lord, where in my heart, where can I raise the level of integrity in my life? You know, integrity starts with private thoughts become public actions. Private things become public things. It doesn't go the other way around. Everything starts in the private recesses of our heart. And the only way to become a person of integrity is to live with integrity in private first. You'll never live with integrity in public, especially under intense persecution and pressure, unless you first learn, we all learn, to live with integrity in private. And so let's just ask the Lord today to begin this work in us today. Would you just do that with me? That we would be men. When somebody says, oh, he's a new lifer. You know, that used to be something around the city we didn't want to brag about. But now I, I, I want that to be a badge of honor. We are, we are men of Christ. We are following Jesus. We're new lifers. And that's, that means something. We're going to hold each other accountable for our behaviors and the way we're doing business and the way we're doing things. Call each other to account and encourage one another along the way to be witnesses, right? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so thankful we're so very grateful, we're thankful and grateful today that you're with us, that you are watching over us, that you're caring for us. 
I just want to pause here for a moment because I feel like the Holy Spirit says to a lot of you, 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 we have to set apart Christ as Lord. This is the way Peter started this off, set apart Christ as Lord. And I'm not assuming today because this is a Saturday morning church meeting that all of you have done that. I'm not assuming today that just because we're sitting in a church service that there are not men here today, you've, that, that you've never made the decision to set apart Christ as Lord of your life. And if that's you this morning, let me tell you how this happens. It's just simply as confessing what I just said. I set apart, I, I declare Christ is Lord of my life. No other God. I set apart in my heart Christ as Lord. So right where you're sitting today, you need to, you need to say that, pray that to yourself. I set apart Christ as Lord. And by the way, even if you have made that confession of faith before, that's a good confession to make every single day. I set apart today, on Saturday, October 23rd, that day 23rd, I set apart Christ as Lord today, right now. Lord over my heart, Lord over my marriage, Lord over my children, my job, my assignment, my finances, my health. I set apart Christ as Lord. Now, Holy Spirit, come. Here's, here's the truth. None of us can follow Jesus without the help of the Holy Spirit. You cannot follow Jesus without the empowering presence, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The person and the power of the Holy Spirit has to be in every man's heart. Or you cannot follow Jesus. And Jesus never meant for any of us to try to follow him without the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Not one time Every time Jesus said, I, it's better for you that I go away. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come and empower you. Paul said to Timothy, he's going to give you the will and the power. He's going to show you what to do and the power to do it, to follow Jesus. So maybe you've never, maybe you've set apart Christ as Lord, but maybe you've never really asked the Holy Spirit to come and be the empowering to empower you, to fill you. Well, how do we do that, Pastor Brady? The same way you accepted Christ is the same way you accept the Holy Spirit, by faith, by asking, by faith. That's it. There's nothing magical about it. I, I, I welcome Jesus into my life as Lord of my life and in the same breath, and I welcome the work, the presence, the person of the Holy Spirit into my life. Just like that. Every day, that's my prayer. I pray that every day over my life. Lord, I, you're Lord, and I set apart you as Lord. Now I welcome the work of the Holy Spirit, the empowering presence and power, the person of the Holy Spirit into my life. So around this room right now, we, we ask, Lord, that you would baptize and feel and empower the men of New Life Church to, to be men of the Holy Spirit to be men that are following Jesus under the power, the influence, and the person of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I thank you today. Thank you for all you have planned for us today. Thank you for what you're going to do in us today. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. 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 Pastor Gabe, come on, man.